Welcome to Our Two Cents, a collaboration podcast with a penny for your thoughts. Join me, Sean Bloomgren, and my co-host, Andrew Penny, as we explore exciting new concepts, products, and the science driving agriculture. We are committed to bringing you products and concepts we believe in by helping educate our listeners on the science driving these exciting innovations. As always, we greatly appreciate you, our listeners, and we love to have your feedback. On Twitter, at Sean Bloomgren and at SciPathology, or email us at thoughts at gmail.com. Please like and share our podcast and our social posts. And thank you, as always, for listening. All right. Well, we are back uh, with uh, for part two of uh, Input Intensive Management of Corn with uh, Dr. Daniel Quinn from the University of Purdue. Uh, Daniel, I'm really looking forward. You know, the, the first episode we talked about what your man- what your research looked at. Um, and now we're going to dig into the the fun stuff, the results. So yeah. as we talk about this, um, you know, just again, give us a brief overdue o- overview uh, of what your research was and, and then we'll dig into the results. Yeah. So this was a, you know, kind of a a uh, pretty common intensive management study, right? Where you have your control, you have a lot of different management practices and inputs, and it's it's evaluating them both, you know, combined and, and individually. Um, so, you know, really the the main question is is always, you know, which management practices or products, you know, there's so many out there, uh, which ones work, which ones don't work, yeah. you know, which ones maybe fit my environment, which ones don't fit my environment. Um, so it's, it's back to evaluating those from a yield standpoint, but also, you know, diving into, to actually some of the physiological aspects where, you know, we saw yield response, but, but where's that yield response coming from and trying to understand that a little bit further. Yeah. Let's, let's just jump right in, I guess. Um, so let's start with, uh, seeding rate. Uh, we, we talked, I think in the original episode, base rates 30 to 32,000, but, um, yep. maybe, maybe talk about what you saw as a response when, when you varied those rates and, and correlation to either high management soil textures, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of surprises, um, you know, I thought one thing that was interesting, I think we maybe had one site year out of all of the site years that had a response to the seeding rate increase. Um, so if, you know, way we targeted is just a 20% increase in seeding rate. So we yep. had some locations, so we kind of targeted our base rate based on the recommendations in that specific um, environment, but they are typically, you know, 30,000, then we go to 36 or 32, we might go to 38. Um, but you know, not a lot of yield increases, um, going from 32 to 38 or 30 to 36, um, and that kind of, you know, really tracks with a lot of the seeding rate work that, that I've done. And, and Bob Nielsen did tons of seeding rate work yeah. all around um, Indiana. And it, it kind of tracks with those results as well, where, you know, what's interesting about hybrids today is, you know, they can, they can tolerate higher seeding rates very well, you know, and that's, that's good, but they can tolerate lower seeding rates as well. And there, there's some aspect of, you know, they can kind of compensate a little bit um, with, with the lower seeding rates. And and often when we do these trials from, say, like 26,000 to 40,000, 
it often it's pretty amazing how flat <laughs> that that can actually be yeah. uh, with some of the hybrids. Um, so I think we maybe had one site here this year where we did see a, a yield response to the increase in seeding rate, but it was was actually pretty minimal. You know, you that. know, I sell seed for a living, right? You're not. A, no, you're probably gonna. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to edit part of this podcast. No, <laughs> so I'm curious. I, I mean, I've been doing seeding rate trials for. 15 years and it's funny like one year you, you could use the same product different product one year you'll get one yeah. response one year you know the response how much i mean i mean looking at thinking about the environmental conditions we faced the last few years how much of an impact do you think weather had to do with that you know you, you often talk about obviously you have higher populations you want one consistent yeah. ear and all those plants uh fertilizer comes into play but also moisture right so so what do you, what's your thoughts there do you, do you think one of the reasons you didn't see a response because we've been so dry the last few years and, and yeah, obviously think, in that one site, did was that wetter? What was the difference there, you think? Yeah, so the, the one site was a little bit more moisture um, with that response. Um, you know, I think, you know, moisture availability does play into that. You know, we see, you know, really where we see really strong differences in optimum seeding rates are, are often irrigated, right? Yeah. Um, you can kind of push that population a little bit more with, with irrigation. Um, so when you have kind of adequate moisture um, as well, but, uh, you know, Really, the last two years of this study, we've we've kind of been on the drier end overall, dry early, and then you know we kind of caught moisture when we needed it um, later in the season. Now we've also had very productive years the last two years. I mean, you know, look at the state of Indiana. We we had state. I mean, Indiana I think was tied for the highest yield in the entire U.S. this year. Um, and then last year we had, you know, outstanding yields. So we've had really good years as well. Um, so, you know, maybe we quite haven't caught the really challenging years or really wet years or, or something to maybe tease out uh, those differences in the seeding rates. Um, but yeah, definitely, you know, soil moisture availability um, can play into that. Uh, we're going to start um, some trials next year. We We started it a little bit with some farmers this year, but actually looking at, you know, um, pretty intensive seating rate, um, spatial aspects. Nice. To try nice. dive into that yeah. question a little yeah. bit more. Uh, but yeah, moisture availability um, definitely plays into that. And, and the one site where we did have that response was, did have a little bit moisture, yeah. more moisture yeah. than some of our other yeah. sites. Yeah. It's, it's funny how when you, when you talk to growers about it, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of higher populations. And, and I think simply because uh, from day one, if you don't have that, you never know what Mother Nature is going to do, right? I always yeah. want to have the highest yield potential from day one. And now that we do have genetics across, you know, all of the, these corn hybrids that we have, it's like I, I want to be able to know that I'm maximizing yield as long as we're not going backwards. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I, I feel like years ago when you do that, you would be going backwards. You'd have stock quality issues, you know, that there were just, you know, I think breeding needed to catch up with what we were thinking. But, you know, I, I do see some of these these lower populations, you, you can attain those high yields. It, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, we, we've shown that time and time again. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, as, as we talk about this, what what did you learn in terms of how how did it change, or maybe how is it affecting how you recommend thinking about planting population to growers? Um, it it kind of you know cemented again kind of our our current recommendations um, where they're at. You know, we're we're kind of for the most part, you know, most farmers across the state they. They they push it a little bit, but but not too crazy. It's it's pretty common. We're in that thirty two to thirty four thousand uh, across the board. Uh, I think it kind of cemented that a little bit uh, with us that you know, maybe you don't need to go to that thirty six thirty eight thousand that high. 
Um, but you know, I think there's still a lot of questions on it too. And, and one thing we noticed, you know, not just in this trial, but I had a couple other seeding rate trials with different hybrids, um, actually seeing, you know, oh, yeah. The, yeah. the start interactions between hybrids, yeah. how they respond to different seeding rates. Right. So, yeah. um, that's, that's another, you know, add on to the. That's why it's like nitrogen. It's like endless research that you'll never have a definitive <laughs> answer on, right? Yeah, seeding rates and nitrogen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's never ending. So. Yeah. Job security. Yep. <laughs> when when you were looking at your research, you looked at at a infra fungicide and a banded fungicide. What did you see for a response, plant plant health and root impact from those from those treatments? Yeah. So we, you know, we worked with uh Zyway, which is uh flu triafall. Um one thing we we did evaluate. So if you look at the the slide set here, um I, I kind of combined we did a lot of Zyway work and then Darcy Telenko has has done a lot yeah. too. So yep. um some of the data that that I shared in these slides is that combination of all of our, our Zyway trials. So oh, nice. uh, we have we have looked at uh, Inferro and we've looked at it uh, kind of a, a two by two, you know, banded application. Um, you know, one thing with, with Zyway, I think now they've, they've changed the label to go away from Inferro uh, because you can have, have challenges. And I've seen that not with just with just Zyway. There's, you know, other uh, fungicides applied Inferro that, yeah. that you can have stand issues. Yeah. I feel like anything you get into those cold, wet scenarios, I mean, yep. you spray your pre's or certain pre's, right? Yep. Inferro, lot, lots of stuff. It's, it's hard for that plant if you don't have that warm weather to metabolize yeah. those products. Yeah. Well, so it, seems, it seems like we, we enjoy pushing uh, planting conditions. Yeah. So you, you can certainly create a perfect storm if yeah. you're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. But we've, we've seen some pretty good results when you actually get it off the seed. I think they yep. recommend now that you got to be three quarters of an inch or an inch away from the seed. Okay. Uh, a lot of those fungicides just you can get a little tough on that, that seed when it's in furrow. But, um, we, I, I think, you know, in terms of surprises, that was maybe one treatment that was uh, pretty eye opening to us in terms of, you know, we, we rate disease all the way till late in the season and, and yep. we rate it all the way to R5. And we saw even some indication of when that fungicide was applied to the planter at planting, even all the way to R5, we're seeing lower yeah. disease at that product. Now, not wow. to the level of, say, a foliar fungicide at, at R1 or R2 in there, but yeah. there's some activity going on there. And the fact that you could go an entire growing season and it's still providing some level of activity. Yeah. The half-life on that on flutriafall is impressive. Well, and it makes it makes me think of it makes me think of the areas that it would otherwise be difficult maybe to deliver in season fungicide. You know, obviously, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of places that it's it's easy to get across, but there's there's areas I know. Yeah, I think about areas down by like Omaha where everything's farmed on contour. You're probably not going out there really efficiently, so you're either going aerial application if you want in season. There's potentially drone now. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. even even some of those places. Yeah, helicopter or plane would be hard. So Mm -hmm. something like like a. Uh, Zyway would be hugely beneficial if we can if we can show evidence, in, which was actually my next question. You know, did you guys look at? I think there's a lot of question. I, I've seen that a lot of data that it works. How, how did? Yeah. I, th- I think the one question is tar spot and crown rot. Yeah. You know, I think they've it, they've shown that it works really well on northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. Um, yep. What what did you see on on tar spot and or crown rot? Yeah, so we we actually did rate for tar spot. Um, Darcy did as well. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's labeled for tar spot, uh, but we did see tar spot activity. I was okay. looking at that, that nice. data pretty recently. We're actually 
uh, working on publishing um, all of our combined data with flu trifle. And I think yeah. a lot of the pathologists across the Midwest are, are working on that too. Um, so it, it does, I don't think it's labeled for tar spot, but it's, it's still, you know, from our data, it did have activity all the way okay. to R5. Um, so I think there's, you know, in terms of crown rot, you know, that's a question we just, you know, we've had spots of it here and there, but, you know, not enough for us to really, you know, test it with that product. I think, you know, in some of the other states, they've, they've seen some activity, um, and, and from that. Maybe we can but donate really, some crown rot to you. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like if we donated, a a, yeah, if we donated a third of our crown rot, you would have plenty to look at. Uh, so, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, Zyway can be run liquid. And then at one point they were running a foam, uh, mm-hmm. like a foam. Were, were you guys running the liquid version? Yeah, that's the Zyway LFR. Okay. Okay. Yep, liquid. No, uh, we actually used it with 28% okay. liner. Okay. Um, Seemed to perform pretty well, um, and then we had it uh, in the two by two application. Great, um, and planting. Nice. So I, I'm curious too. How how much? What what were the numbers that you were noticing? Um, you know, in terms of disease severity reduction, not necessarily a specific disease, but just overall. You know, obviously getting to the yield impact. Uh, you know, yep. looking at the, again, listeners go to the data. This this there was a positive uh, relationship, and I'd say correlation or impact on, on yield. Yep. So, uh, what what did you see in terms of disease reduction? Yeah, we we saw actually about a you know in terms of you know I some of the data I combined it across all the site years, right? Uh, but it was about a fifty percent reduction in in foliar disease from the Zyway. Uh, now, say, take R1 fungicide, we work with Delaro Complete at, at R1. Now that's, you know, you know, pretty drastic, you know, 80, 90% uh, control of that disease. But the fact that, you know, at R5 across these, you know, 13 plus site years, you can see a 50% um, reduction. Yeah. And that's on the year leaf, right? We're doing a lot of our, our measurements at the year leaf uh, later in the season. Um, and still seeing that track um, that late in the season, I thought was was pretty eye opening uh, to see that there's some level of activity. Yeah, and, yeah. and we typically deal with you know gray leaf spot, northern coral leaf blight, and tar spot year in and year out. Those are the big three for us. Yep. Well, man, it's, I, I know it's I've, impressive that you still have that. I mean, oh yeah. It, mm-hmm. I, I I just want I mean I, I want to hear and see some data that that we potentially have a product that we can use for crown rot. Yeah, I mean that's such a yeah. man. That's such a big issue. You look at Iowa and Illinois, the way we're impacted by that, and we continue to push these planning dates. I feel like to we're just going to need something to help with that because I mean the impact on. I mean, if you don't have healthy roots, you don't. You're not going to have healthy leaves. I don't. I don't need to go and say my Westgate quote that I learned because uh, Sean will roll his eyes. But uh, yeah, we need we need healthy roots for healthy leaves. Well, and and I guess I guess I would I would jump in and kind of ask the question that I feel like I'm real curious to know the answer on. So, so when I think about most of the area that I, I spend time in, I know only a couple uh, planters today that are set up in like a two by two or, or, or a side by side application for that, that type of inferro, the way that you're testing it. So I guess um, knowing what you know, with the research you've done, how would you advise uh, farmers to think about, you know, maybe the adoption of that type of technology? Are are you there yet? Yeah. I, I- in Indiana, it's surprising how many farmers have have kind of gone, I would say, kind of gone back to that. Um, you know, it, it seemed like they, you know, had two by, you know, the old school John Deere two by two, right? The Coulter's in the front and, you know, people kind of got away from that. It was heavy, you know, I didn't like dealing with it. And then they went to Inferro and, 
And then now we kind of see a, because there's a lot of different, I would say in quotations, two by two, right? Right. There's, you know, precision and, and all these different, you know, it doesn't, I think with Zyway, what's, what's unique, what we found is it doesn't have to be the, the conventional two by two. You can do it two by zero or, you know, there's a lot of new, you know, kind of makes it a lot easier. Make like, up your you know, own, right? Yeah. Make up your own. <laughs> like some people are just putting it all back by the closing wheels or yeah. and they're putting it through the, the gauge wheels, right? Uh, there's a lot of new technology that I think makes it a lot easier to put these out. Yeah. And, and we've seen, you know, at least in Indiana, kind of a, a pretty big flip where a lot of farmers have moved towards some level of products and nitrogen through that planter yep. and then coming back at side dress. And so that's that's kind of our our status quo in a lot of our trials. It's a lot of the farmers I work with, that's that's pretty status quo uh, for them. They like the the two by two or those banded applications off the seed yeah. like nitrogen because they can put a little bit more down, right? They just aren't seeing maybe as much from the inferral in terms of some of the nutrients. They're not getting enough. So they can put enough down there. And then it gives them kind of, you know, both the fungicide and the nitrogen kind of gives them that flexibility where they can kind of play the play it by ear if they get into in season, you know, hey, do I need to adjust things or can I monitor things and, and, yep. and play it by ear? It gives them that flexibility with with the nitrogen and, and potentially even that disease control yeah. uh, to in season. So as we wrap up the the fungicide discussion, were there any, you know, you guys did do the um, two by two or, or banded. Right. Yeah. And, and so did, did you see any positive, you know, I, I played around a lot with infrared fungicides and, and, you know, it, it always makes you feel good when you see that positive response, a greener plant, bigger plant, healthier root system. Did you guys, did you notice anything once you went switched to that, that banded or two by two versus the infrared, you know, next to the seed, did you see any positive response? Um, I think, you know, it's usually pretty comparable between infrared and, and two by two us with us in terms of, you know, the, the, I would say, you know, dry matter increases, yeah. um, you know, it just looks better. Right. Um, okay. that's, you know, so you really didn't see right? a whole lot until you got to the kernel weight. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So, but you could, you could, with the starter applications, you typically always can pick up on, you know, a bigger plant, a little bit healthier plant. Um, some of the work that, uh, Bob Nielsen and Jim Camerato at Purdue, they've done a ton of starter work. And what they found with with starters that's pretty interesting is that it it really kind of actually makes the plant grow faster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, what that explanation is, there's there's still some questions on that, but it's it's often about a growth stage ahead. It typically tassels a little bit quicker. Yeah. And then the most consistent starter sp- response we see is is during harvest in terms of moisture. Yeah. Uh, that weird. About a half a point to a point drier. Um, so that that starter kind of. It, it kind of gets that corn playing up and going a little bit yeah. quicker and it actually progresses a little bit quicker. It's like you speed up. It's like giving a, a someone that working out healthy food speeds up their <laughs> metabolism or something. But it is strange how we really don't have a definitive answer, but we kind of know what it does. Yeah. I'm just big on getting that plant as good a start as you can. Yeah. Yep. That's huge. Well, let's talk about sulfur. Uh, you know, this, this is an issue we, we've been talking a lot uh, with growers about and, and we see very consistent responses. What did, what did you all see on your, on your trials? Yeah, it was, you know, maybe not quite as consistent as, as the fungicide responses, but I think it was, was up there in terms of consistency from, from sulfur. And that's, you know, that's, that's pretty much the case from, you know, we've, you know, I've been doing quite a bit of sulfur since I've been here, you know, Bob and, and Jim did tons of sulfur work. Uh, Sean Castile's done tons of sulfur work on, on soybeans. Um, it's just, 
Sulfur is, you know, everybody knows the story, right? The air's cleaner. We're not getting it, you know, the deposition that we did. And and it's something that we just see sulfur responses time and time again. And and it started with, okay, let's maybe target the little bit lighter ground, right? We have parts in Northwest Indiana, Southwest Indiana, you know, lower organic matter. Okay. Yeah. We're seeing responses. We don't need to worry about, you know, the, the prairie ground that's in West Lafayette and we did some sulfur trials in West Lafayette and I was like, oh, wow, we actually got 10, 15 bushel off yeah. of some of the sulfur applications. So um, it, it's kind of the point where it's it's pretty well across the board um, that we see responses year in and year out. Now, not everywhere, um, but that's that's with anything. But um, it's it's just hard not to, to apply sulfur nowadays just because in terms of I always tell folks one of the most common calls I get early on in the season is what is going on in my corn and why does it look like this? Yeah. I walk out in the field and it's sulfur, it like efficiency. <laughs> yeah, sulfur efficiency time and time again. Yeah. Um, so we just see it, you know, time and time again and, and see pretty consistent responses across the a wide range of, of soil types uh, across the state. Yeah. You can almost just drop the mic with sulfur and just say, yeah, we see a response. It's yeah, worth just putting go do on. it. So I, I guess thinking about that, you know, uh, I just gave a high yield talk and talking about the importance of, you know, we start seeing limiting factors at 300 bushel that are different than limiting factors at 225 bushel. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the importance of understanding sulfur and other micros and macros, looking at their soil mobility, how's mother nature going to impact them looking at their uptake curves. So, so sulfur is about a 50, 50, you look at vegetative yeah. and, and reproductive. So it's one of those nutrients where, 50% gets roughly taken up during vegetative growth, 50% gets taken up re- reproductive growth. So so you know, and and we know that, that sulfur is pretty consistent response. How, how do you advise growers to think about that? Is is there a specific form or is it just put sulfur on? How, what's your advice? Yeah, it's, you know, it's for most farmers in, in Indiana, right? We talked a lot of them, you know, take the side dress route. So we look at it, you know, logistically, um, for for most farmers, it's pretty easy to put ATS on through that tank as yep. side dress, and uh, we've done a lot of work where we see that's pretty consistent time period to to put your your sulfur on. Now there's you know cases early on in the season where I think if you have the ability to put some a little bit through the planter, right, you got to be a little bit careful with it, um, but do put some through the planter to to carry it through. And that 15 20 pound rate um, tends to be be pretty good for us year in and year out. Um, but again, yeah, the the corn plant is kind of it's pretty steady in in how it uses and in and uptakes corn throughout the entire season. Um, but ATS is it tends to be the easiest for a lot of folks that are side dressing. Now we still have you know a fair amount of guys that that do anhydrous, so that's always the question of you yeah. know how do I get my my sulfur on when I'm when I'm doing anhydrous and um, you know source wise we don't see a lot of difference. Um, we're we're starting to dive a little bit more to the sources. You know, you can bring in elemental and and that stuff like that. But in terms of sulfate, right, gypsum, you know, works pretty good. A- AMS works pretty good, right, as long as you're getting it out there. Yeah. Um, and and what's been interesting is that we've actually been working on um, Bob Nielsen before he retired and um, working on a little bit of the carryover aspects too. And, you know, we typically think, you know, sulfate, it's kind of like nitrate. It, it doesn't really hang around. It kind of moves out of the system. Uh, but actually seeing, you know, some levels of carryover where, you know, maybe we could put some on in our beans and then, you know, maybe we we can still get some of that that aspect of that sulfur still being there for that corn. Uh, so I do think there's, there's some opportunities. Um, Sean and myself started a 
a pretty big rotational study this year with a lot of different uh, sulfur sources um, to track that over the next couple of years to see is there, you know, one source or the other other that kind of hangs around a little bit better. Can we get away with one application and one crop versus, you know, two and the other, Um, but do see some level of residual activity. Um, and that's all for, but, you know, source wise, you know, if you're getting gypsum, you know, that's a good, good way dry. AMS is good. You know, ATS liquid form is, is good. There's a lot of good, good sulfur sources out there that, that work pretty well. Yep. So you mentioned 15 to 20 pounds and I've heard a few different recommendations around like, like a ratio to nitrogen of 10 to one. And and I've heard yeah. even, even eight to one. Is there a number that's too much? I mean, when you think about, when you think about that, or have we, is that premature? um you know at least from my perspective i don't i haven't done any work to see what that level is to be too much but i i would guess you know in terms of what we see so we do see that right in terms of the ratio aspects when you we typically track end to s ratios when we're looking at like tissue samples and stuff like that um so you think about you know throwing that ratio off Right. Um, we can actually see, we can actually induce sulfur deficiency if we put too much nitrogen on, mm-hmm. um, so that I can throw that off. So I would guess, you know, kind of the flip side, right, where if you get too much, too much sulfur in there, it might, might throw that ratio off. Um, now, what, what that is, I mean, I have some farmers that I work with that'll put 50, 60 pounds on and they don't have any, have any issues. Yeah. But I'm sure there's a there's a point there. there right? Two hundred, yeah, yeah, <laughs> one one to one with your nitrogen. <laughs> yeah. um, well, let's for the sake of time, let's let's just kind of keep keep diving through these treatments. So, yeah. um, talk about what you saw in response to uh, the different micronutrients uh, that you guys used in mm-hmm. these treatments. Yeah, I thought, you know, some of these responses, we didn't see a whole lot, um, but did have a, a kind of one location that that stood out to us. I was having some conversations with my colleagues the other day of, you know, what's the one location, um, I think in Northeast Indiana, I think both years, uh, we had a, a pretty good response to to some of these uh, micronutrients. And, you know, it, in Indiana, there it tends to be very location specific and environmental specific. Um, so we do have a, a fair amount of areas in the state that that really struggle with manganese uh, deficiency. Um, we have a lot of muck, you know, kind of muck soils, high organic matter soils in, in spots and parts of northern Indiana, um, other soils where they may have really high pH or, or challenges that way that, that really throw off manganese and, and some farmers, even our northwest farm, our northwest research farm here at Purdue, I mean, it's pretty standard practice where we're putting fuller manganese on uh, both corn and beans and some of the fields. So um, so the higher pH, you're finding that pretty consistent in those areas? Yeah, the higher pH, pH, you know, that's, you know, one one management practice that, you know, folks that deal with manganese year in and year out is maybe, you know, try and get your, your pH to drop down a little bit because that's going to help with that availability yeah, yeah. of that manganese. So, you know, that's kind of the Probably one of the main inputs, you know, we saw in Northeast Indiana, pretty consistent response with, with this, um, fuller micronutrients. Uh, we're still processing a lot of the, the, we took a lot of pretty intensive tissue samples to, to track this a little bit closer. Okay. So we're, we're hoping to get that data, uh, here soon and, and dive into a little bit more. Um, but, but also we, you know, I did some work with, with zinc, um, this year too, and, um, typically with zinc, uh, we'll see more so like inferro applications or, or at plant applications. Yeah. So we did have some pretty good zinc responses. It's, it's often tied to, you know, high P, you know, high phosphorus soils and, 
and environments where you do see that. Um, so probably a combination. I tend to lean more towards the manganese um, because we just have pockets in Indiana that that we that's you know a challenge. That's something that a lot of farmers have to apply every year, yeah. depending on where you're at. Uh, so it's you know the micronutrients right are, are often very specific. Um, you know field by field. Yeah, uh, where you see those responses. Yep. So so thinking about that, um, you know. It sounds like you're still kind of teasing out and, and maybe at two locations that saw a response with these micro packages and, and that was foliar applied, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So thinking about that, how do you, how do you go about advising a grower on that? You know, you see these, you know, is, is it something to look at maybe a tissue test to find that response? Is it more of a pH thing? Is it soil tests? Where, where would you advise a grower or, or is it maybe the high yield environments? You know, is it one of those situations where maybe it's a new limiting factor because they're shooting for 300 versus 225? Well, what's your thoughts? I think it's, you know, as many diagnostic ways you can look at it. I, you know, I typically advise, you know, tissue tape samples are, are always good, but you always kind of kind of have to be a little cautious with those based on when you take them and, and what's going on when you when you took them. Um, so if you can complement that with, with some level of soil sample, um, if you are seeing symptoms, right, this is kind of, you know, agronomy 101, right? You take the, the samples from the good areas and the bad areas and you compare at, at that point in time. Um, so if you're seeing some level of, of deficiencies, you know, doing the, the tissue and soil from the good areas and bad areas and comparing them, I think that's a great way to, to look at it. And then, you know, from there, you're in those, some of those high yield environments, I think, you know, R1 tissue samples, like ear leaf tissue samples for, for us always are, are really good. Um, now, you know, oftentimes that's a little bit late, right. To make any corrections in that year. Um, but it can often be a pretty good snapshot of, of how things are looking um, that year and in that point in time. But, you know, using diagnostic tools that you can and collecting as much data as you can. Um, and then, you know, being, I always tell folks, you know, just just try, try things, right? If you want to try some of these these micronutrient products, you know, maybe you leave a, leave a couple strips here and there. It's, it's all about, about trying them in, in different environments and different years and you know, high yielding spots and low yielding spots, but yeah. just, just keep testing them and trying them. The way you describe that is kind of what's always been my challenge with those foliars is, is so you sit there and go, okay, the amount of time it would take to collect all of that data and then still have time to deploy a response in yeah. season. It, it, it feels like, uh, um, you'd need a small army on even a, yeah. an average size farm we to really deploy it well. Yeah. We need a drone that can drop down some technology. Yeah. Just take yeah. it. Trick. Just, yeah. Take it. Take it. Yeah. yeah snap a leave. <laughs> but we don't use the, uh, we don't use the sound effects on our audio board, but we have them. And I feel like this is the point where we do like the drum roll, please. Like the yeah. one that I think everybody really wants to know about. So talk to me about, uh, nitrogen. I, I feel like that's, you know, that's, that's the big thing that it's a big topic of conversation. Um, so yeah. you guys looked at, at, uh, uh, timing of nitrogen. Talk to us about what you found. Yeah, I think, you know, the big thing with, with timing and nitrogen. So the way we, we handled it is, uh, we kept the rate the same. Um, so kept the rate the same, but just adjusted when we apply the nitrogen. Uh, so we typically put, you know, 40 units through that, that planter, and then we're adjusting both the, the times that we put nitrogen on and, and the rates that we're putting them on in season, right? So total rate the same, but let's, you know, say if you're doing 200 pounds of N, you might put 140 on at planting, uh, 60 on at say V5. The other treatment might be 40 units through the planter, and then we're coming back, putting 60% of it on, so maybe 100 pounds, 
uh, at V5. And then we're coming back, you know, V10 to V12, um, just kind of, you know, spreading out that, that nitrogen application. Yeah. But we used same pounds, um, just increase in efficiency, yep. right? There you yep. go. So same, same pounds. Um, so that's, that's a big thing. Like, you know, a lot of folks want to do the multiple splits, but I'm always big on, well, let's not try and keep adding N every time. Let's keep the rate the same, but see if our efficiency goes up. Yeah. Um, Ignacio we, CMPD you know, would love your research. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Ignacio will. So. He's a good dude. Um, yep. Um, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of farmers, right, that, that have high clearance sprayers. They they like doing the Y drops or just drop tubes they've made. Um, we we see corn can respond to nitrogen, you know, up until the the reproductive stages. Yep. Um, you you know, you follow that uptake curve. It's it's just all, you know, the the biggest ch- nitrogen is such a pain year in year out. Um, so just trying to do a more of a you know approach where we can kind of you know, stagger those, those applications and prevent some of the losses. Uh, so that's, that's what we looked at. Yeah. Um, and, and really the big, big takeaways, you know, I've been doing a lot of, you know, nitrogen timing work all the way from grad school. I was an undergrad and then grad school all the way to till now. From pulling the samples to telling what samples to pull. Yeah. And what, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I've been, been working on it quite, quite often. And, you know, and what this trial showed us is it it's often very, environmentally dictated on when you see the responses to the late nitrogen. Um, typically the, you know, the some through the planter coming back at V4, V5 is, is typically time and time again, the best for us. Um, but we did have some instances where actually coming back a little bit later where it, when it actually did pay off and, and worked pretty well for us. And, and where that came in was it's often environmental um, impacts and we've seen it both where when it's really dry and when it's really wet um so the first year we did this study it got so dry on us and it was so dry when we side dressed um that we actually started seeing nitrogen efficiencies even when we had 200 units of n uh, yeah. um, out there because the plant just wasn't getting to it, it yeah you know you don't have the moisture there for that plant to uptake that nitrogen and then we put that late season N application on and we caught seven tenths of rain the day after, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Boom. So yeah. it was, you know, a timing where you, you're kind of getting that flush of, you know, and so that's where we saw, you know, really strong responses um, to that late season N. Now you switch gears, right? So we did this study in Kentucky and it was in an irrigated environment um, and actually lost a little bit of yield, right? When we did that, when we can kind of control the moisture, um, but we see it too with, you know, corn is those late season applications are are really great for rescue applications. Um, say you, you know, put pre-plant N on or you side dress and you get four inches of rain, uh-huh. right? There's a lot of N that you guarantee you probably lost. That corn, a lot of times you can make up just about all that yield if you put that, that nitrogen you know, that plant is still taking up nitrogen, is still utilizing nitrogen. We see hybrids today kind of, you know, utilize and remobilize nitrogen a lot later yeah. than, than the hybrids did in the past. So, um, you know, we see see the benefits from it. We see the not benefits from it, and, but it's often kind of comes back to the environment of, of when we see those benefits. And that's where we kind of preach in-season and applications in Indiana because it, you kind of can play the weather a little bit, right? Yeah. If you put all your anhydrous on in the fall or the spring, it's like, well, okay, well, we'll just wait and see what happens. But, you know, if we kind of tailor out those end applications, we can kind of play it by, okay, we we probably lost some or no, the conditions are pretty good. And then we can 
um, go from there with our in-season applications. We yeah. were we were looking yesterday at, at mineralization, you know, by environment and much of the state of Iowa and, and, and large parts of Illinois in 2023 had, you know, almost perfect con- conditions for soil mineralization of nitrogen. And so I, I think it's a good call out and it does. I know you brought up Ignacio, but it brings, it brings back, you know, the advice that he was giving us, which is if we can respond to the environment, to your point, the timing becomes so critical. And if we have some control over that, we likely at least have the highest likelihood of, of, of seeing a nitrogen response to that management. And certainly, certainly it's something that I think when we think about high yield management, but also just just managing our inputs, it's, yeah. a, it's a great way to yeah. say. It's not always about increasing yields, right? Correct. Sometimes you can save money by not yeah. putting it all up front and losing it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I, I, we were looking at Iowa State's uh, MTRN curves and, and kind of, you know, where those efficiencies were. And obviously, you know, it, it's, you don't want to put yourself in a, a deficient stage. That's the yeah. last thing you'd ever want to do. But certainly understanding that stuff uh, allows you to impact uh, yep. output. So, yeah. Well, uh, that, that's uh, good information. Uh, I, I see your results probably tie in with a lot of other nitrogen studies we see. Mother, At the end of the day, it's Mother Nature that really dictates and drives from mineralization rates to nitrates left over in the seal, uh, left over in the, yeah. in the soil, and then you know nitrification process and speed. So yeah, it's uh, it's complicated, but at the end of the day, you know, if, if it's one more thing you can control and, and maybe be more efficient. Uh, yeah. If any, if anybody can, whoever figures out the predict and release uh, <laughs> or, uh, from the soils, just you know, tap me in. Yeah, I won't need this job anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it, the soils. You know, it's environmentally driven. But yeah, the soil will really. I mean, that we just don't have a good handle on it. Yeah, if we ever get there, then we can be a lot better managers of nitrogen. Absolutely. And on to the final treatment. Uh, well, actually, yeah. I guess we had two more. So I, I guess we talk about the treatment, but then also what you saw in terms of dry matter, which ties into everything, right? Yeah. So I, I guess let's talk about that last treatment. So yeah. your foliar fungicide. So what, what do you see, how to compare to, uh, you know, the, the rest of the, you know, I, I would say consistency with all the other treatments you did. Uh, and what do you see for yeah. yield response? Yeah, I think, you know, this was our most consistent, uh, you know, yield response. Um, I think, you know, looking at, I summarized, I think 11 of the site years, um, just pulling all the data from 11 of the site years, about 14 bushel, 13, 14 bushel um, across the board with the the R1 fundicide. And, you know, I I put the caveat in there that, you know, every location that we did study in, we had disease. Um, Some had more disease than, than others. And, um, you know, a couple of sites, we, we didn't see a response, but I would say 90 plus percent of the sites, we oh, wow. had a significant yield response. To you don't hear those fungus. numbers too often. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's time again, we, we saw the, the response to that fungicide application, but we, we had disease in, in a lot of our sites, you know, I always get asked, uh, did you see those responses when we, you didn't have any disease, right? And yeah. well, you know, it's hard to control that in a, in a field environment. We did have disease and it's hard when you're in the tar spot Mecca <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you have Darcy Talenko yeah, thanks using, a lot, Darcy. <laughs> using her powerful, uh, her powers to be. Yep, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, you might've kind of answered the question, I yeah. guess, but so you saw, you saw a significant response to fungicide, yep. um, but, but could you correlate that to disease severity? I mean, you, yeah. you could, yeah. 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 So we, you know, the bigger responses is where we had, you know, a lot higher, you know, when you're getting into 12, 15, 20% severity on ear leaves, that's when we're getting, you know, that 20, 25 bushel response. Oh, wow. um, we had some sites where, you know, we're pretty low on that, and that severity. You know, we had a site here in Michigan where just not a lot of disease um, up there and we just didn't see a, a whole lot of response. 
um, to that fungicide application. But it, it was pretty consistently for us that 10, 15, 20 bushel, uh, which was, you know, pretty eye-opening to, to see that uh, time and time again. Um, but we had, a, like I said, we had a lot of locations where we had tar spot, gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf bite, you know, at fairly, you know, high levels up in the canopy and, and the yeah. fungicide does a good job of, of controlling those. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good to hear. I feel like that's the one thing that uh, there, we always get questions on, but it's it's always, uh, I think with that too, the more that we have uh, the conversations about, um, you know, nitrogen in, in a similar aspect, nitrogen dictating or mother nature dictating nitrogen applications, you know, with, yep. with the, the, with tar spot coming in, that's kind of changed up the, the whole timing and the way we think about fungicide applications. Yeah. But, yep. but it's good to see that you're, you're all seeing a, a positive response. Um, so finally tying this all together at the end of the day, you know, we talked about each of these individual management practices that you all looked at, spent time pulling samples of. Um, yep. so, so you have the, the yield response. What was the, you know, obviously if there's a yield response, kernel, kernels are going to be impacted, whether it's kernel number or kernel weight. What did you see, uh, for, for these treatments, uh, or, or maybe the specific treatments that you pulled kernel samples on and looked at kernel weight? What, what was the impact? Was it, was it the rate of duration of grain fill was or I'm sorry, was it the rate of, of uh, dry matter accumulation that increased or was it the duration period uh, that increased for dry matter accumulation? Yeah, it was, it was more tied to the, the duration. Um, so interesting enough, you know, we actually had a higher rate um, this year. Um, really? So I think, you know, looking at some of the data, right, we... I've been trying to dive into this a little bit more, but, you know, we saw a lot of it plateau at, you know, 42, 45 days following, you know, uh, silking where we're starting to see that plateau and in, in dry matter and yeah. kernel. Um, last year it was more, you know, that 50 to 55 days hmm. uh, range, but it, it tended to, at least from a fungicide standpoint, right? We, we kind of looked at this more intensively with, with the fungicides. Um, typically it was tied to kernel weight. Now we did have kernel number uh, responses um, as well. We we did see that at, at a couple locations, um, but we we take a thousand kernel weight. So one of the big things we do right at harvest is we go right behind the combine, pulling ears, and then we're pulling ears randomly, and then taking a thousand of those kernels and, and weighing them and, and looking at that kernel weight after we dry them yeah. um, as well. So um, a lot of the probably the most consistent you know, yield component response for a lot of the fungicides was tied to the kernel weight. But we did have uh, kernel number responses too. And and actually um, the Zyway um, actually did result in a couple, both kernel number and kernel weight, hmm. not as much as say as the R1 fungicide, but but still did see that. Um, and it was typically, you know, looking at the data, right? We we tracked this, we sampled ears every single week from, from R2 all the way up until um, we did it for maybe nine, 10, 11 weeks, um, where we're starting to get to that point where it starts to plateau that, that dry matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it typically resulted in the extension yeah. with the fungicides yeah. at least. Uh, now you look at some of the nitrogen data, some of the stuff that, that Tony Vine had worked on, you know, they could change both duration and, and the kind of the, the slope of that linear yeah. line, right? The rate. Increase in rate. Yeah. But ours, the rate for us was more year driven. Um, takes moisture and, and all the, it, everything starts to align to increase rate versus temperature and, you know, growing conditions change that rate year and from years for us. But the fungicide itself was more tied towards the duration where, yeah. uh, I think in 2020, you know, last year, uh, 2022, uh, we saw about a four day extension in grain fill. And then this past year was a three day, 
um, extension. And, you know, I think about three, four days, that's, oh, yeah. uh, what does that mean? But you look at how that ties to, you know, we looked at, you know, the weight of individual kernels, right? And that, and that's, yeah. you know, pretty drastically increasing the weight of individual kernels. And then you look at the site years where we did this intensive sampling. I mean, that's, you know, three, four days is, you know, 10, 15, that's, 20 yeah, bushels. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, thermal so, units. I mean, that's, that's how I tracked it. So you start looking at thermal units, the, the additional thermal units that you can gain through those, those few days that, that makes a world yes. of difference. Yeah. 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 So we, we saw that response in, in both years that we, we tracked that pretty consistently. Um, that, it, that fungicide, you know, if we can, can, I think it really comes back to if we can, can control that disease, right? And you, you know, foliar disease, it, it can, you know, occupy the green leaf area. It can, you know, kind of speed up senescence. It can kind of shut those plants down. If we can control that disease, right, then we can kind of extend basically that grain fill duration where that plant is still photosynthesizing, right? It's still maintaining some of that green leaf area. Um, it's, it's a little bit healthier. It, it still can grow, um, and then actually tack on a little bit more weight, um, with that. So if we can extend that grain fill and and we see this with, with nitrogen, we've seen it, uh, we see it with just environmental conditions, right? And temperature and moisture, um, that, that can extend that. So any way we can find ways to, to kind of extend that grain fill, we see the extension of grain fill tracks pretty consistently with an increase in kernel weight. That's going to track to the, the increase in, in overall yield. And, yeah. and that's something we saw in, in both years, uh, with the fungicide application. I guess, uh, it, it feels like we're kind of at the, uh, at the top of the pyramid here. Talk to us about the, uh, the intensive all inputs applied treatments. What, uh, would you learn? Yeah, I think, you know, across the board, the intensive treatments, you know, the intensive treatment with everything increased yield. I think that was just about in all, but maybe one or two site years where we didn't see the intensive, um, increased yield. Uh, but the challenge with that is right. It's, it's a lot of different inputs. I think we, we measured it out. The, the intensive treatment is about a hundred dollars per acre more uh, <laughs> in terms of product and, and application costs. So to get the ROI and in return on investment and the profitability is, is really challenging. Now, did we see it? Yeah. I mean, we had a couple of sites where we got 30, 40 bushels off of the intensive, um, but that's, that's not always the case. Right. And then that's, yeah. you know, that's something that might be a year. just enough to break even oh, yeah. 30 <laughs> bushel. Depending well, on that's, that was, was that, was that not the first question I asked you when, yeah. when Andrew, when Andrew showed me this deck, I said, do they, ha did they put economics to this? Because obviously it's uh, fun to be the guy in the coffee shop yeah. with the biggest number, but, uh, but it's got a, yeah, it's well, got a, it's got a, we, we joke about it, but that's, that's, what's important. You know, like I said, we're going to link this data on the, on the show website. Yeah. And yep. so that's, what's important. You know, you have, a, a, did a really good job of highlighting the stuff that had the consistent response. So we can, we can take yeah. all this information, growers and other agronomists can use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess, I guess kind of, you know, maybe just something to wrap up and then, and then we've got kind of a, uh, a bookend question for you, but I mean, so knowing, so I, Gosh, it's almost unfair to ask you to summarize. If you if you said I'm planting a crop in 2024, and your 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 slide deck that you sent us was was the information we had, give us kind of your one or two, you know, maybe kind of key takeaways from your data that 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 backs up your belief for for either you know obviously Indiana growers, but just just for us to think about. 
Yeah, I think it kind of helps us pinpoint, you know, some of those you know, management practices that that perform pretty well across, you know, a lot of different environments and and really well in, in certain, you know, targeted environments. Um, so you look at, you know, the the Zyway product, I think that that you know, it's been pretty eye-opening where it, you know, provides some level of flexibility in terms of disease management to get us to that, that, you know, reproductive stages. Um, I think, you know, sulfur, the way I... You got got me thinking, sorry to interrupt you. I guess we didn't touch on this. You got me thinking, did you see an interaction with the Zyway plus a fungicide or was that not looked at? Because that that would be interesting. We didn't look at it individually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, a study we're going to do next year, just as a teaser, is we're going to start looking at side dressings that way. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I've, I've, actually, I've thought of that. That's a wonderful idea. Yeah. I mean, one of the best things I learned from Westgate is the the impact that the roots have on leaf health, right? And mm-hmm. and the, the cytokinin production, the synthesis that takes place yeah. in the roots, which dictates greenness, you know, everything ab- above ground. It, it impacts kernel number, kernel, you know, kernels per row. Uh, greenness, you know, the, the, yeah, that's awesome that you're looking at that. But I thought that exact same thing. And I also thought about doing that, adding, adding cytokinins, just playing around with, we know the impact and it takes such a small amount of plant hormones. So, uh, maybe we can brainstorm some things to to potentially look at. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's a big question we have, but I think you, you look at, you know, I think, you know, kind of keeping the seeding rates, you know, where you're at, you know, a lot of it's, you know, farm or hybrid specific, but you know, I think there's, there's really something with that Zyway. You know, we, this data, we compared 140 comparisons between my data and, and Darcy's data. And it was about 5% across the board um, nice. in terms of nice. yield. Um, I think sulfur is, is the other big one, right? It's, you know, the way I approach sulfur is I typically don't tell someone to avoid sulfur um, <laughs> because we just, you know, we just see it time and time again. A lot of times it's pretty easy to apply uh, for a lot of folks. Um, that sulfur and then really that that R1, R2 fungicide in there, um, you know, in terms of what we've done, those three are what really stands out to me. Um, but it, it, it really is to the point where the main takeaway with this study is, right, you can do an intensive where you just throw everything at it and you probably get a yield response. But, you know, that's $100 break or more. Right? That's, yeah. that's a lot of money. Yeah. It, it comes back to understanding a more targeted approach, which is, you know, often easier said than done year in and year out. But, you know, every field's different, every environment's different, every farmer's different. Um, but there's there's always kind of two or three that really stands out to us. So, um, you know, know your operation, test these things on your operations, you know, help, I you know, understand the conditions year in and year out, still scowl, look for disease, you know, you know, tra- track things throughout the years to make those decisions and, and make a little bit more of a targeted approach of what inputs I need um, during that year. Um, but I think, you know, the Zyway, the sulfur and the, the R1 fungicide were the ones that, that really stood out to us. Um, but, you know, that's still, from a farmer's perspective, it's still important to to try them out on, on your own operation. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I greatly appreciate it. And I think it, you know, it, it affirms a lot of things that we know to be true and, and then helps, you know, just challenge us to think. And I, I even love, you know, the nitrogen conversation that doesn't, didn't come up again, but the learnings really, um, yeah. kind of coinciding with, with what like Dr. CMPD has, has observed. And so really appreciate that. Okay. So now what we've got to do is we're going to take a hard shift. So this is one of the questions we didn't prompt you for, but it's one of our favorite kind of bookend questions when we have an awesome guest like you. So as you think of um, your your career to date, uh, you've been a part of a lot of really cool things. I guess I guess 
talk about maybe a moment or, or a portion of your research or, or just your role in agriculture where you went, wow, like that's really going to, it really makes an impact or, or this is something I'm really proud to be a part of in, uh, in your work. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a really good, uh, really good question. I think, you know, this study is, has been a really fun one to work with. You know, I, I typically tie, that answer towards the conversations and the reaction I get at the meetings and, and working with the farmers, right? I, I do 60 to 70 meetings a year. You know, I've, I've spoken to 13 to 15,000 people, you know, um, even since my short career. So you kind of can pick up on, you know, certain topics you talk about and it, you know, okay, I got a ton of questions yeah. on that. Or yeah, that yeah. Maybe they, you see the they, wheels churning yeah, or turning. The, yeah. You know, this, the, the grain fill aspect of the fungicides has been some of the funnest uh, stuff I've worked on because that's a little bit different and, and even, um, you know, from a farmer perspective, but even, you know, folks like, you know, I work a lot with, you know, Tony Vine, right. Who did a lot of this work on nitrogen and, you know, he was really intrigued and really, you know, really opened his eyes to see some of the fungicide stuff we were able to do. And, um, you know, any, any of those studies that, you know, a farmer can, can listen and, and take it and say, I'm, I'm going to change maybe or, or alter something in, in my operation based on your data. And, you know, I'm doing that because I think that's going to help. Um, you know, that's always the, the best part of, of what I do. I think, I think this study plays into it. You know, we're, we're fortunate enough to do a lot of different research trials. Um, I, I've done a lot of work with with the new short corn, right? I, I think that's been a, a, a fun one uh, to work with too, you know, in terms of the questions and the intrigue and, and the questions, you know, the interests that farmers have um, on that. So anything that we can, you know, kind of just, you know, help the farmers. I like, you know, being at the forefront of some of these things and learning, you know, from yeah, I got a lot of good partners in industry and learning from them and, and bringing that to the to the farmers. So, you know, I think this, this trial has been one of the funnest because it's probably been the, the one I get a lot of the most requests and a lot of the interest and the most questions from, um, and, and some of the grain fill work has been kind of fun because, you know, when you do these type of studies, you just get a thousand more questions yeah. and it's like, okay, this is the next direct, like this study, we're hoping to expand and, and do a little bit different things with it next year. So, um, it just kind of, kind of snowballs from there. It's, it's just a lot of fun. And, and I've done a lot of work with, you know, planners. I, I enjoy some of the equipment side as well. That's, that's yeah. always kind of fun. Uh, farmers enjoy <laughs> equipment. So oh, yeah. uh, any, any, like I would come back to anything that, that the farmer can take away. I can take that message and I can apply it to my operation, maybe get a little bit better. Um, that's, that's the best part of the, my job. Awesome. Well, we, we really appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's clear that, that this work is, is going to help us and our listeners, um, think about their own farms. Uh, Andrew is my co-host, Andrew Penny. And so we wrap our episodes by me cashing in my penny. Um, some advice is worth what you pay for it. So, uh, <laughs> Andrew, I'd, I'd like to cash in my penny. It never me, gets old. Give me your, uh, yeah, yeah. Boring jokes for $1, <laughs> please. Uh, tell me, uh, tell me your succinct takeaways. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, I, I welcome any criticism or praise, whether this goes good or bad. But these are my key takeaways from uh, what what you brought, what you know, the information you brought us. So uh, I got, uh, boy, I could probably have five. We'll see how many. I, maybe I'll just make them quick. 
One, you know, we, we get a lot of questions about Zyway and Inferro, and, mm-hmm. and I shouldn't say Inferro, but two by two, maybe maybe that's where we separate the two. It sounds like you had an extremely uh, positive impact. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's something that yep. we need to think about. You know, we want to increase those yields. Um, you had a very positive uh, response with, with Zyway uh, at two by two or Bandit. And so, you know, I, I noticed that you recommended no Inferro by the seed. Make sure it's banded or two by two. And so I think as we continue to have early planting dates, stuff like that, we're going to start thinking about. Uh, the second one, uh, sulfur, I guess this can be a quick one. Sulfur, it sounds like you have a, a similar, it's had a similar response to what we're seeing uh, across Iowa, Illinois, you know, the, the the main corn belt. Yeah, there's been no shortage of yeah. affirmation that yeah. that's the right Sulfur, way to go. You, you should be using it 50, it sounds like your recommendation, 15 to 20 pounds, right? Form doesn't matter as much, 15 to 20 pounds. Um, what, what I found interesting, you know, you, you talked about micros and you only had a response and if I remember correctly, one location, right. And, yeah. and it was, uh, you know, you have, you have certain spots within, in Indiana where you have a manganese shortage and whether that's, you know, high pH where you, where you see that response with micros. I, th- I think my, my lesson from this, again, going back to increasing yields, going from 225 or 250 to 300, we're going to start thinking and looking at things differently. Mm. So is, does that mean going out and taking taking tissue tests yeah. to understand, you know, in the good and the bad spots, looking at those soil samples in the good and the bad spots. I think your advice was awesome. Take that, you know, look at those good spots, look at those bad spots, see where the differences are, and then make decisions based on that, either that current year or the following year. Um, and finally, uh, I think the one that, that um, obviously the nitrogen one, that, that was pretty similar to what we've talked about. Mother nature really dictates nitrogen. I think the one thing that I, I liked with the, the fungicide, you know, you had a, the highest response of anything with your with your foliar fungicide application. What stood out to me, you know, we often talk about timing and disease severity, but if it sounds like you saw a very consistent uh, yield response as your severity increased with, on the ear leaf, which isn't a surprise, right? But I think we just need to keep continuously reinforcing that. You know, we have genetic, we have uh, uh, genetics, genetic resistance that that can impact disease. We have uh, fungicide resistance issues. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not as much in corn as we do in soybeans, but I've heard talk that maybe that's becoming more of an issue in spots with with certain diseases. Yeah. So I think it's just something to think about. You know, I, I think the the worst thing we can do is just go out broad acre and put 100% of our acres to fungicide. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, we got to be stewards of our products and our land. And, and so I think that's part of it. So as disease severity increases or you're starting to hear rumor of disease popping up in an area, then maybe start thinking about that fungicide to, to increase that chance of an ROI. Yeah. And your excellent job as always. And, and, uh, um, Dr. Quinn, you know, it's, it's, it's always hard to, uh, appropriately say, thank you. We, we appreciate you coming on the podcast more than that. You know, our thanks extends to years of your education and hard work. And then, and then, um, you know, just the, the daily effort it takes to go do this stuff. It, it's, it's, it's so impactful on, on our own individual learning, but also just kind of the, everybody that tunes into this podcast is, is trying to learn and do this better. And so really from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for taking time to be with us today, but mostly thank you for your continued dedication to learning and, and helping educate others. Um, we really appreciate you and, and Purdue and, and all the work that you're doing. Um, speaking of Purdue <laughs> and all the work that they're doing, um, Andrew, as we get ready to sign off for the day, give us a little bit of, te- of a teaser about our guest next. Yeah. Well, as I talk about the teaser, I suppose Dan probably unintentionally got himself on another podcast here, maybe nine months to a year sure. when they yeah. start teasing out that data, looking at yeah. the interaction between all these treatments and soil texture and yield environments. So we'll have you back on to talk about that. But yeah, I figured we'd, uh, what a better way to start off 2024 talking high yield corn 
Then we're going to talk high-yield soybeans, and we're going to stick with the Purdue guy. So there's our hint, the, the other soybean guru. You know, we got Sean Conley at Wisconsin, and then we got this other guy over at Purdue. Ooh. Very good. Very <laughs> good. Dan, thank you so much for your time today, and, and, and uh, thanks for being on the show with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. Please help us grow our audience by giving us a five-star rating and sharing our social media on Twitter at Sean Bloomgren and at SciPathology. You can also find our episodes on LinkedIn. We love your feedback. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny, the number four, your thoughts at gmail.com. As always, thank you for tuning in.